Welcome to Jewelry Artist, where we examine the art and business of making jewelry. I'm Katie Hacker, your host. And in each episode, I talk with top jewelry experts whose insights will inspire you at the bench and beyond. We talk about everything jewelry related from how jewelers got started to what they're doing now. And whether you make jewelry or want to learn more about the life of jewelry artists, you're going to find great, intriguing conversations in every episode. In this first episode, I talk with bench jeweler Julie Sanford. Her work is in books, galleries, magazines, and museum stores, and she's an expert at juggling many different aspects of a jeweler's life. I've taken classes from Julie and gotten to hang out with her on the jewelry scene, and you'll never find a nicer, more giving instructor. So I recorded this conversation with Julie before all of the stay-at-home orders were issued and quarantines were taking place, so you'll notice that we're talking about her shop in Grand Haven, Michigan, and other things that she does on the road. And I'm sure that all those things are going to be a lot different right now, but I know that you're going to get a lot of inspiration and a lot of guidance from this episode with Julie. All right. Well, welcome, Julie. I'm so excited you're here today. Well, thanks, Katie. I'm super happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks for recording with us because I think a lot of people are going to be interested in how you apply all the different aspects of kind of a business mind to your art and vice versa. I don't know well, if you know that you do that, but I think you do. <laughs> well, it's, it's just come so gradually. And so, um, you know, the way that, that my business has evolved that I really don't think about it that much. Yeah. Well, tell us how you got started. Well, I've, I've been interested in doing jewelry for since I was little. Um, my dad was a rock hound. So a rock hound is obviously somebody that just goes out and looks for rocks and collects rocks and identifies rocks. Um, but I've done that since since I was really little. And um, growing up, my um, father didn't live in the home. So um, so I didn't really learn a lot from him, but I do have those memories. And he did make jewelry um, as a hobbyist. And he passed away when I was 16. So I really didn't learn from him, but the motivation comes from him. And I did inherit all of his tools. So at 16, when he passed away, I was um, taking jewelry classes at the high school. And my art teacher um, was very interested in my story. And she was uh, did a lot of metal smithing in college. So she, um, she kind of showed me what I had, what the tools were for, and taught me how to make jewelry. And that was a nice school. I've been doing it ever since. What a wonderful gift. Great teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we can all relate to having a little stash of rocks or stones or beads or whatever it is, you know, and kind of pawing through them as kids. Mm-hmm. And yours has that extra story about your dad. I think that's really special. Yeah. What a wonderful yeah. legacy. Yeah. Good memories. Yeah. And then um, in college, you studied jewelry too and some education, I think, right? I did. Yeah. I went to college to be um, an art teacher, obviously inspired by my art teacher. And, um, you know, she was such a role model to me. And so I did want to be an art teacher, but I didn't, I didn't go back to college until I was 26 years old when I went back to college and I was already, um, making work and selling at art fairs. And, um, I'd already been working in the jewelry industry, um, for a while. I started working in, um, when I was 19, I got a job at a, at a, fine jewelry store. It's a family owned store, AGS store at the time it was American Gem Society store. So it was a good store. Um, and I worked there for 15 years, even when I was going to school to be a teacher. So, um, yeah, so I've got kind of a, (laughs) have my toe in the water for a long time in jewelry. That's for sure. But I did go to school to be an art teacher and I did, um, I did visual art teaching in the classroom as well. 
when you were teaching in the classroom, was jewelry more of a sideline for you? Yeah. So I always did the, um, the jewelry and, and sold at summer festivals, which, you know, as a teacher, it's, it's pretty much the perfect schedule for that because I can, you know, I have my weekends free and I have, you know, three months in the summer free where I can go around and travel and do the art shows. Um, so it was, it was a really good balance to do both. Um, yeah. So I did. Probably I, I mean, skipping, yeah, that's cool. I think well, I'm probably skipping ahead in the timeline here a little. I want to come back to doing art fairs and things like that. But the store that you own now is a very unique situation because you have teaching classes, you have an art gallery, you have your own studio where you're doing work at the bench. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you find that being a being a teacher? I think a lot of people come might come to it the other way around where they learn jewelry first. And then they learn how to be teachers of jewelry making skills. Mm-hmm. And you learned how to be the teacher first, right? So how does that kind of dovetail into what you're doing now? It, it dovetails beautifully into what I do. And it's it's so interwoven and interconnected in that the, um, you know, the journey that has brought me to where I am today it's, it's all related, you know, the, you know, being a a student and then being a maker and then learning how to be a teacher and then still being a maker and teaching. It's just so interconnected. Um, I did teach, um, jewelry in, um, at, at the same time I was learning how to be a teacher. I was teaching classes at the local art Institute and, and I was able to relate exactly what I was learning in, in college to what I was doing at night teaching. So that was kind of, that was kind of cool too. That is cool. Do you think that there were any big skills that you learned during that time that you still use today? I mean, I'm sure lots of them, but are there any that stand out? Um, the skills in learning to be a teacher or the skills in learning my craft? Yeah, both. Um, I think of the most important things that I've learned is that, um, you really need to be taking classes. Um, and, and education is just a huge part of your technical ability and getting outside of your studio and meeting other people and seeing how other people are doing it, um, is really important. And then as far as honing skills and, and learning to be good at something. Um, when I go, when I went to school to be an, a visual art teacher, um, I took a lot of studio classes in lots of different things. We did printmaking, we did painting, we did, um, ceramics, we did, of course there was jewelry in there, but there's, there's all of these different studio classes that you have to take to be an art teacher. Um, it doesn't really mean that you're going to be good at any of it. It just means (laughs) that you have a good perspective of everything. Um, Um, So in order to be really good at one thing, you just have to work at it um, over and over again. So when I, when I, um, people ask me, how do I get good at something? I say, make chains. Chains is a great way to get good at one thing because you're making that one little part over and over again. You're making one link and you're making one perfect little link and then you're making another perfect little link and it's going to have to match that first one and then it goes on and on and on. So by the end of a chain, you get really good at making that one little thing. And, you know, any technique is going to, is going to show you, um, that kind of progress and that kind of, you know, when you work at something that long, you're just going to get really good at it. Yeah, that's a great tip. Chain is a great place to start and really perfect your skills. You're right. I hadn't thought about that. I was just lecturing my kids this week about their art projects 
and they weren't feeling like, you know, how sometimes our work doesn't turn out the way that we expect. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we had a big conversation (laughs) about that. And then also that part of it, the joy of it is just the doing it. You know, it's just learning how to do it and being caught up in the moment of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Focused on the result. And that's one thing a good teacher can teach though, is how to, how to get your, um, you know, your, your sense of where it's supposed to be kind of out of the way. So you can be free enough to enjoy the experience of making itself, you know? Yes, definitely. And I feel like it's still possible to get into that space of enjoying it, even when you're doing it for your job. Oh yeah. You know, we're fortunate to have jobs we love, (laughs) but you know, I think sometimes the joy can be lost if you have to crank stuff out. Oh yeah. It It can be possible to find it again. Yeah. And and you just need to, um, you know, to have a lot of different avenues of creativity, I think. So you're not always at the bench making this one thing over and over again. You know, you need balance. It, well, That's in everything really you point. do, you need, you need good balance. So you just, you know, if you are getting burned out, you just need to do something else for a little while. Something that still relates, but is different. What are some of the fun things that you like to do outside of your jewelry making bench work? Well, I, well, my job is so diverse that I really don't get tired of doing one thing over and over again because I never have enough time to do one thing long enough to get tired of it. Yeah, hey, that's <laughs> is, to do it. Yeah. So if I'm not, you know, if I'm not doing uh, desk work, I'm doing bench work, I'm working with clients, I'm teaching, I'm proposing classes, you know, there's so many different things to do that I, I really don't have, you know, any, any time where I feel like I'm, I'm, just tired of doing this thing. That's really good. And I'm sure you don't have any time to sit around either. No, I don't. Dream of new <laughs> well, tell me about this dream of your store and how did this, how did this transpire that you felt like you could do it? You know, opening a maker space with all the different things that it encompasses. Yeah, well, it, it didn't all happen at once. That's for sure. And I never really sat down and thought, um, I'm, I never just sat down and dreamed up of the whole thing, the way that it is right now. And it happened slowly and it happened kind of organically. Um, and there's a couple of things that, that brought me into, um, what I do right now. And one of them was I, um, I grew up in Kalamazoo and I went to school in Kalamazoo and I got tied into the arts programming in Kalamazoo. They have a great, um, arts council at the time. They had, um, the Kalamazoo Institute of Arts is where I learned how to make jewelry. A lot of, a lot of what I make, um, I learned how to make there and, um, I eventually taught there. And then I moved, I got married and moved to a small town where there was not a vibrant arts community. There was no, um, sense of belonging and, you know, in, in that type of community here, um, where I am now. So, one of the things that I really missed was being connected that way. So I kind of always wanted to find those people here. Um, So, you know, ended up having to pretty much create it myself. Um, (laughs) And then the other factor that played into that is that when my youngest son was born, um, he was born with a congenital heart defect and he needed um, like emergency surgery when he was 10 days old um, and he was really sick. So that's when I actually left my teaching job at, at the school, my visual art teaching job to stay, to stay home, just make sure yeah. you got the right care. Um, and then 
forward that, you know, four or five years from there where he's healthy. Now he's, he's going to be going to school full time. And, um, and now what do I do? You know, you the, a little the, more the art teaching position that I left is, is filled. Um, so I just turned my business into a full-time business and it was, you know, it was slow. I was, I was home, you know, taking care of him. I was also working on my business. So, so I was growing it to, to be in a, in a position where I could say, this is, this is what I'm doing full time now. And, um, so that's when I decided to get a studio outside the home where I could start teaching. Oh, I didn't realize that even having a studio outside your home for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. It was, um, 2007, 2008 when I, so it's just continued to grow since then. It sounds like. Yep. I'm in the third location and we actually purchased this building and this is going to be where we stay, (laughs) but yeah, it's grown a lot since, (laughs) since then. Yeah, it sounds like it. And people could check out pictures. We'll have um, pictures in the show notes, but they can always look at your website studiojsd.com, right? Yeah. Yep. That's the studio website. And then I also have a website, juliesanforddesigns.com. Um, there's a lot of archived pictures on the Studio JSD Facebook page. Um, but I think now that I'm talking to you, it'd be kind of fun to put some of those early pictures out there of what that studio space looked like when I first moved outside the home. It was pretty, pretty, um, uh, industrial looking. <laughs> Pretty rough. I like, yeah, I like the word industrial. It can cover so many different meanings. Uh, it could be chic. It could be really dumpy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think a lot of people are afraid to take the leap. You know, they might be working at their kitchen counter for a long time or the dining room table or the basement or garage. Mm-hmm. Do you, I mean, how did you decide it was time? Sounds like you just had, you had grown your business enough that you could. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, that was a good indication that that was time. It's, it's probably a lot harder. Um, I, I think you just really have to be so passionate about what you're doing that you just have faith that it's gonna, that it's gonna work out and it will. Um, you just have to be hardworking. Um, and I think you, you have to be hardworking enough that you're, you're going to have to do it all you know, have that day job and have that other job until it's just not going to work anymore. You know, where you're, you're just like working 12 hours a day all the time. Um, I don't know. I just, you just have to want it bad enough. I think that the, someone told me when I first started working from home that, you know, if I wanted to work for myself, I could work any 70 hours of the week that I choose. Yeah. <laughs> and still have a still have a part-time job somewhere else. <laughs> exactly. I think I felt um inspired by that and also sort of like, oh no, what have I what have I done, you know? But you're yeah, right. but if you're loving you love what it, you're doing, that 70 hours just feels time. like 20. Yeah. It does go by. Yeah, mm-hmm. it goes by for sure. Um, what do your kids make of all this? Um, my kids, um, well, I have three boys. And they're not really interested in jewelry making. My oldest, my oldest is the most interested or has been the most interested um, because for a long time, it was just him and I, because I was a single mom for a, a few years. Um, so he was used to me, you know, making jewelry all the time. He was interested in the rocks and the jewelry making. And he, you know, was also my, my helper when I went to do the art shows and things like that. So he really grew up with it. And, um, it's funny because now he's 30, he's getting married. Uh, it's just in two weeks. Um, oh, fun. and I, I always joked because I knew he's a very quiet, private 
person, but I always knew he had a girlfriend when he'd come into the studio and start making jewelry. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he, he's interested in, in making jewelry for other people, for gifts of other people. So that's really cool. But my, my younger kids, you know, they could, they could take it or leave it. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of another world, but when they get older, I think they appreciate it more. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think they will. Hope they will. I was pretty excited yesterday. My teenager put a hole in a Sprite cap, like a bottle cap, and mm-hmm. strung it onto a chain using an ear wire with, <laughs> without my, any of my help. Wow. And I, <laughs> I was like, oh, good job, honey. That looks great. <laughs> Warms my heart. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fun. Well, let's take a little break. And when we come back, I'd love to talk some more about the, the details of the business and how that all works for you. Okay. Sounds great. It's been really fun talking with you about the growth of your art jewelry business. And now I'd like to turn to the business side so that we can get an understanding and maybe some ideas for how to add different aspects onto our own jewelry businesses. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the things you do. Okay. So I, um, I started off making jewelry and selling it at just craft fairs. So that's one way you can do it. Um, and when I say craft fairs, it could be just a very simple, um, like church bazaar, holiday show, something like that. Something that's very easy to get into. It doesn't cost a whole lot and you don't need a lot of infrastructure to, um, to do it. You don't need your tent. You don't need a whole, um, you know, cases and things like that. So that would be like the intro way to do it. And that's kind of how I started. Um, and then from there you can graduate and get into bigger, more juried shows, um, where you do need the tent and you do need the infrastructure. So that is kind of the the same type of selling. Um, only there's a couple of different degrees, obviously to sell your work that way. Um, and then there's selling in galleries and stores. So that would be more like a consignment. So you would have your work, you would own your work and you would just kind of loan it to the galleries and to the stores and they would send you, um, a check if they sell your work, but then, you know, if they don't, you, you could get it back if you needed to get it back. So that's gallery consignment. Um, a lot of artists do both you know, consignment and sell at, at shows. Um, and then another way would be to sell wholesale. So now you're just, um, making a collection of work and it's usually a collection that, um, that's the same. So you're making multiples of a lot of things. So you can have this definite line of something and then stores would just buy it outright from you. Um, so that would be just like wholesale retail types, um, they would, you would sell it wholesale and they would sell it, they would own it and sell your work. Um, and then, uh, another way that you could get income would be to, and another way that I get income, um, would to be teaching. Um, and not all artists are made to be or intended to be teachers. Um, and not all art teachers are artists. So, um, uh, Teaching is is something that you could do, but you have to be pretty passionate about what you're doing and pretty um, skilled at what you're doing to be able to teach it. Um, and then another thing that you could do is you could open um, your own store or gallery, which is what I have here too. Um, so so you're, you're combining all those different aspects, yeah. and you also write <laughs> a little, <laughs> you a do little it all. crazy. <laughs> you do what I you like to do, say yes you know? to everything. <laughs> That's good. Thank you for saying yes to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So that's you know. So that's what I do too. And I I have um you know the the teaching facility. Um, I also have a store 
where I sell tools and supplies. So we sell everything from silver and findings to, you know, rolling mills and pliers. Um, and then I, I um, have a gallery where we sell my work. And then we, we, um, I like to support a community of makers. So we sell the work of about 20 different other artists that are either resident artists here at the studio or they're fairly local or regional artists um, that we sell the work for here in the gallery. Very cool. I'd love to come and take a tour of that sometime and see everyone's amazing well, creations. <laughs> the other part that you also have done television, you've been on Beads, Bobbles, and Jewels with me for PBS. Yeah, that was, was so much fun. It was really fun mm -hmm. and really good too. You gave us a lot of great tips about using recycled materials. So that was fun. Mm -hmm. And then you write articles and you've been in Lapidary Journal, Jewelry Artist mm -hmm. with projects. Yep. So there are lots of different pieces that you bring together into this business of art. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, I was taking a little tour of some of your work and I, uh, I don't think I had realized so much that you use so many different, um, things from nature and your designs. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking particularly of, uh, your Sakura collection, which is a beautiful collection of, Oh, thank you. Of art jewelry. You're welcome. Yeah. That whole series was, um, based off that Sonoran dendritic rhyolite. It's Which that gray kind of stone that looks like, so it's a, this beautiful neutral gray color stone and it has these, you know, um, dendrites, the dendritic part of it looks like cherry blossom branches to me. So I kind of designed that whole series around those stones. Well, that, they're beautiful. What you did is beautiful. The stones are really, I could see why you're inspired by them. Really mm -hmm. unusual. Yeah, I love that. A lot of your work grows from the stones that you choose. Mm -hmm. What do you look for when you're combing through Gary Wilson's <laughs> supplies? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I don't have a favorite stone. And, um, but I do love things that are like have a strong visual composition, um, something compelling about it. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It just, Whatever you know, some, your sometimes eye. when I'm, when I'm shopping for stones, I kind of visualize the jewelry that is happening. You know, I, I can see it in the piece already. So, it, you know, it just has to kind of hit me that way. It's more emotional, I think. I know what you mean. I think there are so many treasures. I'm thinking of, I'm still kind of recovering from Tucson. In a good oh, yeah. way, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's but definitely I'm, overload when you go to two cents, for sure. It is. And when you look at everything, you know, everything is a treasure. <laughs> so then you're kind of looking for the, the ones within that group. Mm -hmm. It's, um, you know, that's it is kind of an emotional draw to what you see. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think it's definitely emotional. Yeah. It depends on, depends on your day. It depends on your mood. It depends on the backstory of the material, um, what it reminds you of, you know, how it's going to play in the style of work that you do, all of that. Do you bring a notebook with you when you're shopping? I do. I bring a notebook and I, I write a lot of things in there. A lot of times in my notebooks are, are, are things that other people are looking for that they've asked me to source for them. So I'm always oh, shopping. Oh, personal shopper. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> so I'm always on the lookout for what other people are on the lookout for. <laughs> um, That's smart. Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, I also jot down, you know, favorite vendors, even if it's, even if they, 
I don't make a purchase from them, but if they carry things that are like what I usually buy, I usually write it down so I can be sure to hit them again next year and see what they have. Yeah. You bring back a, a lot of treasures and have a chunk show there at your shop, right? Oh How yeah. It, yeah. It's something that community here really looks forward to every year is what's Julie going to bring back for the trunk show. Yeah. We just fill the space full of everything cool from Tucson. And I try to set it up. So it's almost like a Tucson experience, you know, so I'll have fossils and, um, crystals and, um, you know, other kinds of things like that besides just cabochons and beads and things like that. We'll have, we'll have lots of interesting other little surprises for people to see just like you would find in Tucson. That's really fun. Do you, do you feel like there was something that you brought back this year that was a a big hit or something that was very surprising? Oh yeah. The big hit this year was I found some rose cut, um, Ethiopian opals that were just stunning. They were just stunning. And I think we sold almost all of them before the show even started because I, you know, I always allow the resident artists here to have like first pick oh. of everything. <laughs> That's a great idea. That's yeah. a nice perk. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a perk. <laughs> But so yeah, that was a big one. Their favorites, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And fossils were big this year. We had a lot of kids coming in, um, a couple of kids that had lists of fossils that they were looking for. Like, do you have this or do you have that kind of fossil? Really? So that's really exciting to see is, is the young collectors that are really know what they're looking for. Yeah. I bet they're really thrilled to find just what they, you know, just what they had hoped mm-hmm. would be there. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to explain to people what the Tucson Gem Show experience is like. You know, I, I always tell people it's shows all over town and there are different themes at each of the shows. And, you know, yeah. if you've never been before, it's hard to imagine. But And you can see it. that they, they just don't get it. You know, when you try to explain it to them, it's like, you know, you just really have to be there. <laughs> I know. I think everyone <laughs> should get to go mm-hmm. and at least experience it. Because even people who aren't into jewelry, which I don't know why they wouldn't be, but if they aren't... <laughs> There's still so much to see, you know, all the different fossils, like you say, and the um, replicas of skeletons. I think the first year that I went there, I saw the the largest sea turtle, you know, skeleton replica that had ever been found. I know. Everything is just so fascinating. You just see all those fossils and bones that are put back together. And it's like, wow, I just can't imagine. I can't believe that this, this is all accessible to everybody. Yeah, you can just walk around and see mm-hmm. all that amazing stuff from all over the world. Mm-hmm. You know, what always is. impresses me when I go there is like the fossils that have turned into other things. Like they had the, there was an opal dealer that had like dinosaur bones that had turned into opals. Oh, I haven't seen They're that. actually bone-shaped opals. Wow. Yeah, crazy. I'll have to look for pictures and next year I'll have to see if I can go find those. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like that. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I'll tell you where they are. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) After this. Yeah. (laughs) And anyone else that wants to know, they can email me. (laughs) There you go. Get in touch with you about the bone-shaped opals. Yeah. That is cool. And I like the idea too of um, really carrying a notebook or something so that you can keep track of all the different places you've been. I saw one woman um, taking pictures of business cards in every place that she wanted to remember. And I thought that was really smart. Oh, that is a really you know, good just idea. Hold the, hold the card in front of kind of the booth mm-hmm. so that she'd remember where to go. I think that was clever. And I also like having the notebook so you can, maybe if you, if something inspires you, you can draw a little 
sketch, you know, so that you remember what you thought you might use it for, mm-hmm. even though plans might change, you know? Yeah. Yep. They usually it's do. Nice to have that along. <laughs> yeah, they usually do. You're right. <laughs> a lot of times I can't get right to the bench when I get back from Tucson, you know, and, and even now I've been home for, I don't know, three weeks now or something. And, you know, I haven't even really gotten the stash out and done anything with it yet. Cause you just get so, you know, we had the big Tucson trunk show and then I have client work that's been sitting on the bench for a couple of weeks that hasn't gotten any, you know, movement yet. So I have, you know, I'll have to buckle down and catch up first before I can really explore what I purchased. Do you feel like that too sometimes? Oh, definitely. Are you kidding me? A few years ago, I realized as I was getting ready to go to Tucson that I hadn't unpacked my bag from the previous year. (laughs) I mean, not bad. (laughs) You must be busy. busy. Yeah. Well, it wasn't urgent. I think those are just the things that I bought for myself to play with, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a difference between buying it for a job and buying it just for fun. Mm -hmm. Yep. For sure. What a nice surprise though, when you found it, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) It turns out I have really good taste. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, just kidding. <laughs> well, Julia, it's so fun to talk with you about the art and business of jewelry making. And I hope that some people got some great tips from you that they can use in their own businesses today. Well, I do too. Yeah. yeah I was going to ask you about your favorite stone, but since you don't have one, why don't you tell me about your favorite tool? Oh, favorite stones are, I mean, asking me what my favorite stone is like asking a writer what their favorite word is or something. It's just so oh, hard. That's a really good analogy. I can I tell that. you. Yeah. I can tell you though, um, what I wear daily, I have, um, a fire agate ring. And if anybody knows me, they've probably seen that I always wear a, a fire agate ring. And my dad was a collector of fire agates back in the seventies. So it's one from his collection. So if you're talking about, you know, why stones are favorite or what draws you to something that one's just got a neat, you know, like history and, um, you know, emotional tie to it. So that's one that I wear all the time. Um, favorite tool is, is, um, interesting right now. And and I, you know, I'm not paid to plug anything or, but I really have been loving the, um, the Whaley sliding hammer. Have you seen that one? No. What do you love about it? Um, okay. So it's this hammer. It was designed by Jay Whaley and it's, um, distributed by Euro tool. And it is like a chasing tool or a chasing punch um, and a hammer, but it's, it's together. So you don't have to hold them separately. So, so the, the hammer slides up and down the tool. Wow. So you don't really have to focus on exactly hitting the head of the hammer to the end of the tool. You know what I'm saying? It's already attached. So you can really focus in on where that tool is hitting your metal. And you don't really have to pay attention to hammering or the motion of hammering. Um, So it really gives you focus in a different way. And when yes. you have them separately. Yep. And you can, you can do go nice and steady and really, you know, angle that tool exactly where you want it. So you're going to be less likely to, you know, damage anything. It's, it's been, it's been really a dream to set like tight corners and things and bezels with. Wow. I'm going to have to check that out. Thank yeah, you for sharing for sure. about that. Yep. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Julie. Well, thank and you, I Katie. I hope you come it's back and talk with us sometime. Yes. Thanks. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's fun to be here. Thanks for listening. To see pictures, please check out our show notes. Remember to subscribe to Jewelry Artist and connect with us on social media. 
Jewelry Artist is a production of Golden Peak Media and Interweave. It's hosted and produced by me, Katie Hacker. We had help from Tamara Hahnemann and Merle White, with special thanks to the team at Lapidary Journal Jewelry Artist Magazine. This episode was recorded and edited by Evan Rutherford and Jared Mayer. Our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer. Thank you.